<clears throat> talked about uh, looking for movies, and um, the thought crossed me, uh, my mind, because our, our kids all fight over what movie we're going to watch, and there's really only like five movies, if you think about it. There's like five or six movies, and they all, you know, there's, there's like a basic, you know, pick, they're going to... Uh, Pixar is going to do actually I like Pixar because they're the only ones that do something original and, and that is until Disney got a hold of them but um, this, pick your pick your movie okay this is the the underachiever accomplishes great things uh, you know whatever the thing is it, and we're just going to put a different skin on it and, and it's going to be a, a new movie and it's just, every 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 movie's like that and I was looking at <clears throat> and thinking about a lot of the, the things that, that I grew up with, and one of the, the famous things was sidekicks. If you think about sidekicks, some of you won't track with what I'm talking about age-wise, but the history of sidekicks, they all kind of fit the same mold. They were either, you, know, you think about Tonto, right? There was Tonto, and there was Robin. That is a little bit more recent, maybe, but uh, uh, Barney Fife, right? Uh, tattoo, remember tattoo? Right? They're, they're kind of these lovable doofus kind of things. They, they got in trouble and had to be rescued. Uh, and, and you know, sidekicks go way back to you know Sherlock Holmes and Watson, the the the, the guy that kind of is there, and and, and we kind of I think sometimes treat Jesus in a sense not as a doofus, but when we talk about Christ. We, we talk about him almost as a sidekick to the Father. And let me explain what I mean by that. And that's why I want to separate the way we, uh, we see that. When we look at sidekicks, if a sidekick in a movie has any significant role, it's kind of this, this isolated role, it's maybe unfortunate, and, and um, some tragedy befalls him, and, 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 and he has to be rescued. And when we talk about Christ, we, we kind of talk about him like, Starting from the birth, there's Christ. Well, we know that He's eternal. We've, we've gone through several messages already talking about His eternal nature. So we, we know He's there. He's just kind of hanging out, waiting for this one moment uh, to come. And we talk about Him being humble and, and, and coming. And, and we talk about Him a giant. When we talk about communion and things like that, we talk about it and focus on the tragedy of it, don't we? We think about the tragedy of the cross. The, 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 oh, how sad it was that he had to die. Like, like some unfortunate thing befell him. And it, it's not unfortunate. The death of Christ was not unfortunate because it was deliberate. It was something planned out, the Bible tells us, from the foundations of the world. It was not an unfortunate event. It was very deliberate. If it would have been an unfortunate event, he would have foreseen it. And it wouldn't have happened. And we would not be here this, this morning. Talking about Christ. And so, so we think, well, what was he doing this whole time? He was just kind of sitting there waiting for his one moment on the stage. And I don't know if, if, if some of the things, and I put them in there on purpose, but, but as we went through some of the first, these first several messages, talking about Christ, did, did you feel yourself like, that almost feels like he's talking too highly about Christ. Like, I think that's talking about God. That's talking about the Father. You know, talking about how Moses was, was following Christ. And, and how he was placing his trust. I mean, here he is at the burning bush and he's talking to Christ. 
You go, I don't know about that. Hey, almost because Jesus is kind of the sidekick. And, and he's talking to God there. But not Jesus. And, and so Jesus is like Robin to Batman, kind of. Not, I don't know. I think you're putting Christ up too high. You kind of feel that a little bit. Maybe not. In the first two sermons, we acknowledged the eternity of Christ. And so we accept His pre-existence. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the I Am. And so we want to turn to the question, what was He doing? Did He exist from eternity just hanging out, waiting for His moment? Like, okay, at some point in the future, millions and billions of years now, I'll do something. But until then, I'm just kind of the apprentice. What was he doing? I'm going to turn to some statements, and we're going to be reading a lot of John uh, today. And so, um, we begin with this statement. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and that's another weird statement. We talked about some confusing, weird grammar. We talked about, we've dealt with a lot of foreign words. We're going to deal with it again. We're not going to do this the whole year. We've talked about the Alpha and Omega, what that means. We've talked about what, what Yah or Yahweh means. We're going to talk about what it means to know the Logos. That's what this is. This word, word, means, um, lo, it comes from the word Logos. And so, we've talked about this, uh, this idea that before we can know Christ, we have to know some about Him. And so, in each lesson, we're learning something about Him so that we can learn to have a relationship with Him, so we can know Him, not just know about Him. And so, John has decided to educate some people about Jesus. When we read the Gospels, because it's about the life of Christ, we think that it's written shortly. We kind of tend to think it's written right after Jesus. So, uh, but that's not the case with John. John wrote his letters among the last books of our New Testament to be written. And they were written for a specific reason to, to address something that was happening three quarters of a century after Jesus died. Think about that. that that's kind of a, a heavy thing to think about. Like, we think of John, John was with Jesus, and, and, like, almost a century goes by, and here's, here's John, like, okay, there's this new idea that's, that's popping up, and I have to address this. So he's, he goes back, and that's why he's the oddball gospel. And you go back through, and it's like, this is not like any Matthew, Mark, or Luke. Well, Matthew, Mark, and Luke were talking to a different group of people at a different point in time about different things. And so they talk a lot about what Jesus does. And John, John talks about some things that Jesus does, but John focuses more on who Jesus is. When you read, I am this and I am that and I am, Jesus said, I am this, you are probably reading a verse in John. Because John is trying to educate a group of people about who Jesus was. At this point in time, towards the end of the first century, they had some weird ideas. They had some confusing ideas about Christ. They believed that that uh, that Christ didn't come physically. That it was just kind of a mirage. Um, they had ideas about God. Of course, we know the Greeks did, but but even Christians had some of these brought some of these ideas about 
about God in from from their pagan religion that, that there were these multiple competing gods, and that's the way they read or, or uh, when once the, the letter started being written, they started hear, or they hear Paul speaking. Kind of some of the things he said sounded similar to what they had believed, and so um, so they started bringing and 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 confusing some things. This is why Peter says. Uh, that that in Paul's writings, they, the untrained, they distort these things to their own destruction because they, they're not trained to listen. They, they, they brought their ideas in and translated Paul with their, their frame of mind. So we want to talk about knowing the logos. We want to talk about what they believe. So, so some of this is boring history stuff, uh, and you might not like mythology and all that, but we do kind of have to cover this to understand what they believed. So, they believed in, a, in different levels of gods, right? And they believed in a thing called an aeon, right? That was, they, were, they were really up there. Uh, so, an aeon, you might have heard the name Kronos, right? So, an aeon, they were, they were like really spiritual beings. They were, they were really up there, right? Um, and, and from these aeons, there came other lower gods, and some of these, these were called demiurges. You know who that is? That's Zeus. And they kind of had some flaws in them. When you, you start reading Greek mythology, a lot of who you're talking about is demiurges. You don't talk a, a lot about, like, who's Kronos, right? But they actually believe Kronos was higher. And, and people like Zeus and, and Hermes and all these different ones in Poseidon, and uh, these were what we call demiurges. These were the ones that really interacted. These lived up in Mount Olympus. And these were the ones that interacted with humans. And they, they made uh, elements of, of our world. Different ones had... Um, they had things to do with the sea and the mountains and the trees and the and and, and so they interacted with the sun and, and all these things and they made physical things and of course um, if, if you know anything about um, about their gods those, their gods were pretty bad right they were flawed their gods were very flawed and they fought with each other and uh, they tried to kill each other and trick each other and do all sorts of horrible things uh, to and against each other. Um, and, and we see that really in, in, in Greek life. Their, their lifestyle mirrored what they believed of their gods. Well, um, these because they made the physical world, they then believed that the physical world was evil in and of itself. The physical creation was evil. And this is what Greeks thought. Well, when Greeks started to become Christians, they brought this in and... Already, as I start to talk, you can probably imagine some of the verses that they might have heard Paul say that go, huh, yeah, I've heard that before. And they just kind of bring it in, right? And talk about the flesh. There's nothing good dwells in my flesh, right? Oh, that sounds like what I grew up. That's what great-grandpappy, you know, taught me about the, the God. So it sounds similar. So they start bringing it in. And it becomes this thing called Gnosticism. Well, now, here's, a, here's I'm gonna, it's like a trick on you. Once they started accepting Christ, who do you think was who? It was kind of backwards. They actually saw Jesus as the higher one. It was backwards from kind of the way that we've interpreted. They saw the Father and Yahweh of the Old Testament. They, they connected those two, which we already talked about. That's not the right connection. Uh, Jesus is Yahweh as well. 
Uh, he said that in John 8. Uh, I am is the statement. I am Jehovah. And, um, but they connected the Yahweh of the Old Testament with the Father of the New Testament. They made that mistake. And they viewed Yahweh as the creator of everything physical. And so they viewed the Father kind of like Zeus, this flawed God. And they viewed Jesus as the one who kind of had to come and fix it all. Because isn't that what Jesus came to do, to fix everything? See how this is a little bit. Oh yeah, Jesus came to fix everything. So, So Jesus was this eon who had to come and fix everything through spirituality. Well, now, if you believe that Jesus was spiritual and nothing physical is good, well, then Jesus couldn't come physically. That would present us with a problem. So he came kind of as this mirage, and everybody thought that he was real because it looked real, but it was never real. Well, that's easy to say seven years after the fact if you never were there, and you've only heard stories about him. But John was there. And so John is saying, listen... I was there, and we were there. And we'll get into that in a little bit. And so, they had the reverse view of God. They made the Father the sidekick to Jesus. And Jesus was the one that had to come in and save the Father from all this mess that he made at the very beginning. Now, that is messed up. Well, Jesus as the Logos, this verse strikes at the heart of of this teaching. And all we have to do is, is read a further few verses. It says, He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without Him was anything made that was made. Whoa! Back up. He's talking to them. He's saying, listen, it wasn't the Father only who made stuff without Jesus. Nothing physical that exists was made. So all that stuff about the good stuff and the bad stuff and this God and that God, throw it out. You cannot be Gnostic and believe this, which is why the Gnostics did not accept the writings of John. Big surprise. You can't read that and accept that teaching. So there was a decision that had to be made. And as you go through and read John, understand some of these stuff and, and the entire book of John, in fact, the epistles of John, which we're going to get to, will make complete sense with what he's writing. Jesus was God. He was responsible for the physical creation. Right? There is no competition between the Father there's no, I, this guy messed it up and this one has to come. This is the sidekick and this one has to save it. None of that. They are not in competition <clears throat> with each other. Not only that, as we said, he is the physical creator. All things were made through him. Jesus was not waiting for his moment to shine later. Jesus was the physical creator. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth, right? And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And then the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. We back up at the beginning, and then God said, or or we, we go through that whole thing, and you'll see several times. Then God said at the end of the chapter, let us make man in our image 
It's a plurality, but it's singular. And I don't explain it. I cannot explain it. I've heard multiple people try to. And I read one thing, and I like it. I don't know where I said, don't try to explain it. Just worship it. Just be amazed by it. That's why it's called a mystery. You can't explain it. Just be amazed. Just observe it and worship it. God made everything. And Christ was there involved in it. And the Holy Spirit was there involved in it. And they were all doing what they do. And so, His title is connected to the creation. How is His title? Well, there's a little clue there. God said... God said, again and again, God said, He is called the Word because His role in creation was to speak. It was a spoken creation. That's important for a lot of reasons. It was spoken. Why is that important? Well, I want you to notice another phrase in here. And there was. It was an immediate creation. When God said it, it happened. It was not, I'm going to kind of start some stuff and let it go. And it's going to go, and it'll be this. And then millions of years later, He said, when, uh, if, you, if you are a manager, right, and you say something in the office, you want it to be done, right? You know, here's an order that I wish this to be done. A year later, eh, I haven't done it. Right? You don't want this to be a slow developing process. I said it. I want it done now. Right? That's the way we. That's the way that world works. You say it, do it. I said it, do it. When God said it, it happened. God didn't say, "Let there be light," and light said, "When I get around to it." God didn't say. Let there be humans. And they said, we'll be monkeys first. When God said it, it happened. And that's all there is to it. He's the Logos. He is the message. He is the command. He is what it is. And when He said it, boom! It happened. And there was. He said it, and there it was. That's what it says. There's no fighting with it. Everything that exists came into being through Christ. Everything. It didn't develop into being. It was spoken into being. Well, we know some about Him, don't we? So let's know Him as the Logos. Let's know Him. Let's not just know about Him. Let's know Him then. What does that mean? Okay, here's what it means for information. But, but what is the practical application in my life? We go to First John. I told you. I told you. All of John's writings can be can, can tie directly to to this idea in the world at that, that time. And you see this. That which was from the beginning. He. Be, this is how he begins. That which was from the beginning which we have heard, 
which we have seen, and how important is this? We look upon and have touched. He was physical. He was not a mirage. He wasn't a vision. Again, he strikes right at the heart of that teaching. Concerning the word of life, the life that was made manifest, that means revealed, and we've seen it and we testify to it, we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father, it was made manifest to us, that which we've seen and heard and proclaimed to you also, so that you may also have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. And so, he takes what I like about this passage, even more so than, than the opening of John 1.1, 1, 1, is he takes this passage, it really is a repetition of John 1.1, 1, 1, but he makes it personal. He says, this, based on this, this is how you have a relationship. This is directly tied to the relationship with God. Believe the word of life. That's the first thing. You want to you wanna have the relationship. You want us to accept something and, and, and make it real. Well, believe the word. Believe him. Jesus was physical. Believe us. Believe me. I was there, John says. I saw him, spoke with him. We ate together. Again, it's interesting. John is the one that points out that after, after the death, Jesus came and was with them and ate. They ate together. He points that out multiple times. I mean, why? What's that important? Because they needed to hear that. They needed to understand that Jesus was physical. When a belief is incorrect, sometimes we go through great lengths to try to harmonize it. And people, well, I, I really want to believe this. No, you've just got to believe the Word. You've got to believe Christ. And we see that the Father and Christ get along just fine. There's no competition. There's no sidekick. It was all part of a plan. And you have to develop a relationship with both of them. They have a relationship with each other. In fact, you have to develop a relationship with the rest of the family. The whole family is important. Now, there's another thought in here. If you want to believe the Word, you have to remove your world views. This is kind of just a side point. I want you to notice that worldviews have been used to interpret the Bible for a long, long time. We're not the first ones. Every generation has the philosophy that's popular in that particular current time and location. And it is so tempting for us to try to find our decade, our generation, in the things that, that the apostles taught. Just like they back then with their Greek world read and listened to Paul and came out with this horrible idea. And John had to write multiple letters to try to fix this. You want to know the problem? Once we establish an idea, you can never undo it. 
we are still affected by Gnostic thought. It is still here today. It became a part of Christianity. And John's writings give us the, 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 the ammo to, to fight it, but it didn't remove it. It's still here. All of Christendom talks about being born evil. You ever heard that? Original sin? Where do you think original sin came from? Christ didn't teach it. The apostles didn't teach it. Where did it come from? Well, if you believe that physical things are evil, then yes. When, when, when we talk about the fall of man, that's going to make sense to somebody and go, huh, I've heard that before. Grandpappy taught me that. Original sin is a Gnostic teaching. It is not a Christian teaching. You ever heard this one? The God of the Old Testament was a God of punishment. He showed His, his punishing nature. And, and the God of grace, Jesus came to, to rescue the Father and, and Jesus, the God of the Old Testament. Thank goodness for Jesus. Because that God of the Old Testament, the God of the New Testament is merciful. They're not competing. They don't compete. Go and read Psalms. The mercy of the Lord endures forever. What's that, 139? The mercy of the Lord endures forever. The mercy of the Lord endures forever. The mercy of the Lord endures forever. God is a God of mercy in the Old Testament and He's a God of punishment in the New Testament. He is the I Am. Christ doesn't change. The Father doesn't change. And they don't compete. These ideas get become a part of something and we're dealing with them 2,000 years later. So, just believe the Word. Don't come to the Word with your worldviews because your worldviews will mess it up. They just do. And we will leave behind other false ideas for people down the line to have to write books about and try to deal with. My worldviews are not a good tool to interpret the Scriptures with. John 6, back to John. John 6, 66 through 68. This is a famous, famous chapter. He's uh, gone through, this is the Bread of Life chapter. We're going to get to the Bread of Life later on in the year. But he says, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with them. So Jesus said to the twelve, you want to go also? You want to leave? Simon answered, Lord, who will we go to? You have the words of life. The words of eternal life. I'm sure somewhere down, and we even read before this, that the disciples were grumbling too with these things. They were kind of having a difficult time too. You want to leave too? Mm, no. <laughs> no. Why didn't they leave? Everybody else left. They had a relationship. They had a relationship. And underneath it all, what they had was trust. Even when they didn't like it, they knew Him. That's why it's important to not just know about Him. It's not just good to listen. There were plenty of people that listened to Christ that left because they didn't know Him. 
They didn't like it either. Those things were hard and they don't make sense and I, they didn't like it. Really. Something about those things it rubbed me the wrong way and they were grumbling. He says, you want to go? No. Why? Because they knew him. They had the relationship with him. The thing that prevents leaving when you want to, when it would be easy, is knowing him. Knowing about him will not keep you from walking out that door. It is knowing him that will keep you in Christ. You have to trust Him. And even when it was difficult, they trusted Him. Because why? He had the words of eternal life. The word logos means more than just the word word. It has a secondary meaning. It has to it's the word that we get logic from or reasoning from. In other words, it is spiritually valid. It's a line of reasoning. It's the concepts that go with it. It's the principles. Jesus is not just a spoken word that made things happen. Jesus is not just... He doesn't just represent a message. He represents concepts that produce life. And that's what the apostles had. That's, they're like, we've been with you for, for however many years it was at the point that they made this statement. They just knew that Jesus made life better. Who are we going to go to? What rabbi out there is smarter than you? What rabbi has helped the world like you have? What rabbi would we go to and trust with our lives? None. Because we've been with you, we've experienced it. Listen, you don't walk out that door. What thought, what worldview, what philosophy out there is going to help your life more than the Word? When you can read it, and there are moments you read things and you go, uh, I don't like this. You want to leave? There's the door. No. Because I know in the end, I don't like them sometimes, but those words are words that work. They work. They are the words of life and they are the words of eternal life. It is a higher logic. It is not just uh, words that, you know, seminars and all sorts of stuff will, will incorporate religious thought in it and Christian thought and uh, you know, the golden rule, and, and they'll incorporate some of that, but it is it, it produces just more than that. It is, yes, it's good for that too. The principles just work. But it is a higher logic. The God, the God who made physical life and spoke it into existence understands what he made. And he understands how it works and how it doesn't work. And he understands what will eventually produce John wrote that our joy may be full. What will produce a joyful life? And not just joyful here, but an eternally joyful life. God knows because He made it. Christ understands because He is that message. That is the connection, by the way, between Him as the Logos and Him as the Alpha and Omega. He was there at the beginning. He is the message and He will be there at the end. That's what life is wrapped up in. So as we conclude, I want to ask who you trust. 
Who do I trust? You, we trust certain people because we know them. Right? I trust so-and-so. They're reliable. The, the closer my degree of, of familiarity with somebody, the more I trust them. This person said this. Yeah, but my grandma said that. So, I don't care if he has a doctor. I trust my grandma. He said, you need to take this medicine. My grandma said chicken soup. Sorry, grandma. Okay? My degree of familiarity is who I trust. Is there something you were raised with that you have a hard time letting go with? Because somebody I trusted taught me that. And sometimes some the things that I was taught by people I trust, they were incorrect. The only way I'm going to let go of those is if I trust in somebody more. If I trust in Christ more, then some of those things I can over, overcome. That's a good way of knowing who you trust. Who do I listen to? God said that. Mm, but, uh, but I was raised this way. Which one do you trust? There is a religious world that has been taught incorrect things for over a thousand years. And we're surrounded by it. We hear it all day, all the time, every day. The influence of these churches that John wrote to still affect us. Within a hundred years of this, they've started baptizing babies. Why? Because babies were born evil. Hmm. Still have it. Why do we have it? Because of a worldview that affected the way that we read the scriptures. You gotta baptize babies. Because of that original sin. So who do you trust? So it just leaves you with a couple of thoughts. Make it personal. This is not just information, but you've got to make it personal. If you have believed information about God that is inaccurate, well, it's about time to trust. This is the beginning of the relationship. It requires trust. It requires belief in what the Apostle said. The men who knew him. Who said, I can't leave. I don't like it, but I know he's right. Trust in those people. Here's one. Make yourself uncomfortable. What? Yeah. Make yourself uncomfortable. If you've never been made uncomfortable, then you've never been challenged. God likes to make people uncomfortable. Christ came and the things He said, we just He said something and everybody wanted to leave. Listen. You ever wanted to leave because of something you heard? Good. Good. You now share something with, with Peter and with John. We're in the same group. The apostles had to fight with this. With being made uncomfortable. Christ did not come to let people sit in the easy chair. I'm going to challenge you. You're going to hear some things that you never thought. There was not a comfy, cozy religion when Christ spoke it. And it isn't today because it doesn't change. 
So search for the higher logic. Abandon the worldviews that you've been raised with. And search for the higher logic. Search for the Word, the Logos. Because it comes from the Creator of the universe. Okay.